The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to another episode of the Shaken and Stirred Show. <laughs> I'm Nigel Barker and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Astor, who's already making me laugh. We haven't even begun. How are you, Tom? Yeah, very well, thanks. Much better than I was last time I spoke to you. I know, you were in bed last time we spoke, and I was hoping perhaps you, you'd promised that you were going to be doing this podcast from the bathtub. I was going to, and then I realised that the bubbles might not last until 45 minutes. And what? We, we might get a glimpse of uh, a little bit more well, than we bargained for. Well, that's it. And, we, and our guest today, well, I'd probably be relevant, actually, but anyway, there we go. Sorry to disappoint. We are a cocktail show, so, um, you know, it could have been perfect, Tom. <laughs> What are you drinking? We're going to be drinking something stiff, is all I can say. Well, <laughs> do you know what? It's nice and warm here. It's a balmy evening. The old April spritz had to come out. I was going to do a sex on the beach, but I presume that you were going to do that, so it'd be unoriginal. What are you drinking? No, no, I don't do sex on the beach. It's far too sandy. Mm. Yeah, no, no. I went for a bend over Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually it's, I don't know why I'm laughing so much. It's gonna be one of those podcasts I can tell where everything makes us laugh. So a bend over Shirley Tom is made with raspberry vodka, sprite, grenadine syrup, sort of and then topped up with sprite. You know, little so it's a really rather disgusting kind of drink, but it tastes like cough syrup and cheers. Chin chin. It's enough to make you touch your toes, is all I can say. I was going to say it sounded like a bit of a misogynistic sort of drink for the misogynist, but or the demanding lover. But it actually, could be a drink for the demanding lover because Shirley could be a male and female name, couldn't it? Hey, there you go, Thomasita. Very well conceived in the current climate in America as well. You can be very careful what you say, as we always are on this show. Well, listen, we've got a really exciting guest this week, a really fun, fun guest uh, who I'm rather excited to announce. But before we get there, as usual, on the Shaken and Stirred show, we like to announce a little bit of booze news to the world. So, wine consumption. We've been talking about on Shaken and Stirred the whole of last year how cocktails and alcohol and spirit consumption has gone through the roof. However... It's not the case in the wine world. So wine consumption has dropped. In fact, last year was the worst um, year for wine sales globally uh, on record. In fact, pretty much since the early 2000s, this is the lowest level. There's been a decline of 6.2 billion gallons less wine was drunk last year than usual. Uh, that's the first time in in 20 years that wine consumption has gone down, and uh, you know it's it's really quite sad. It's really quite it's quite a, pretty much a bleak outlook for you know the, the the wine industry. I mean, people had not much to celebrate. I mean, champagne sales are down, wine sales are down. Funnily enough, box wine sales are up. What, what do you think of that, is Tom? There's something I I can't. I'm going to struggle with this one because last week it was announced that. Burgundy, the area of France that gives its name to um, a certain type of wine in in a sort of non-white, you know, uh, special shaped bottles. But Burgundy suffered had a terrible problem. It was an incredible, unbelievably cold spell of about four days, uh, plummeting temperatures and severe frosts at night. French winemakers were lighting bales of hay around their vineyards to try and push smoke across the vineyards uh, just before dawn to stop the real frost setting in. And it didn't really work because they've announced that they've lost 90%, 90% of this year's harvest. Well, I say this year's harvest ain't going to happen because the buds that will come out, everything's been destroyed by this unseasonably cold weather. So I don't know if that's, in light of what you just said, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. I mean, if no one's, if people are stopping drinking it, yeah, I don't know. Clearly it's a disaster. I mean, I feel that now whatever wine we do have, the prices are going to go up through the roof. But um, clearly tragic. And But hey, you know what? We have, now we have our vaccines coming out. Perhaps there will be something to celebrate and we can start popping our champagne again and we can see one another. We can start toasting each other. Uh, you know, the restaurants will start opening. There'll be more reasons to drink our wine and to drink our champagne and, and all the rest of it. There's no doubt that all of that has caused a disaster, but clearly the weather as well. What is the world coming to? But listen, let me ask you something. Is that so? So the decrease. Sorry, I'm I'm really starting the uptake here. 
the decrease that you're talking about in wine consumption is clearly to do with the pandemic. It is all pandemic related. It was the fact that right. restaurants were shut, so people weren't buying wine in restaurants, and right. that, that there was very little reason to celebrate. And so, although people were hitting the liquor at home harder than usual, the wine consumption on, on the whole apparently went down 3% in the US, uh, which is roughly 6.2 billion um, oh, okay. gallons of wine less drunk in the United States alone. You know, and of course, there were tariffs put against wine and various other things that happened during last year, which uh, you know caused a lot of problems. But anyway, that's all the more reason why we should be cocktailing in the meantime. So very, very excited to announce our guest today. She's a doctor of human sexuality who's on a mission to liberate the conversation about sex and pleasure with her mantra, communication is lubrication. Tom, I think you have something in common. She is the best-selling author of Hot Sex, Over 200 Things You Can Try Tonight, a pioneering masterclass instructor on sex and communication. She is a live Sirius XM radio host and executive producer and host on the number one sexuality podcast on iTunes, Sex with Emily. By the way, I thought we were the number one podcast on iTunes about sexuality, but uh, clearly not, Tom. Um, we're a cocktail show, which is similar, you know. Uh, Please welcome Dr. Emily Morse. Dr. Emily, how are you? Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. We're very excited. We've only ever had one other doctor on the show who sort of talked about sexuality, but in a very different way than you do altogether. So this is, we have lots of questions, too many questions probably. Let's bring it. Ask me anything. First of all, what are you drinking? Okay, so I am drinking a... This is, I don't have a special name for it, but it is tequila. It's called Lalo. And I, I actually brought the bottle because it is this beautiful alcohol uh, tequila. Lalo. And it is actually named after, here's the thing. It's named, nicknamed for Don, uh, Don Julio's grandson, third generation grandson made this. It has a little bit of CBD in it from Foria, which is another thing that I love. Uh, pineapple and LaCroix bubbles. And it's delicious. Cheers, by the way. So cheers to you. How delicious is that? So you're drinking tequila with CBD. That's like a double whammy right there. You've got the, the upper and then you've got a bit of a downer mixed together in, in an alcoholic drink. Well, it's only noon here, so I wanted to kind of keep it real, you know, keep it up, keep it down, keep it kind of neutral. But mm -hmm. keep it up, keep it down. Keep and it fine and everything. Literally, I love the CBD. And I was like, I, I didn't take it yet today. And sometimes I just put it in my smoothie and I didn't. And so I thought, I'm just going to put it in my drink, see how it goes. I'll let you know in an hour. <laughs> well, absolutely do. Please do. I'm, I'm all ears. I'd love to know, you know, clearly drinks in general are something that people use often to lighten the mood, to kind of get in the mood sometimes. I mean, inhibitions go down and people are more relaxed. Is it something that, that one that you recommend in general? Is it, or is it something you're allowed to recommend? Where does alcohol play? No, in the I have to say that, and here's the problem with alcohol is that, Yes. Let's listen. We all know you have a drink. It takes the edge off. One of the biggest challenges people have around sex is getting in the mood for sex. And it's because we're anxious. We're worried. We're still doing the laundry. The kids are around. So you have a cocktail and you're like, I'm ready to go. So I don't think I need to prescribe that to people and say, we know if alcohol chills you out, have a drink. But when we have too many drinks sometimes, that's when things go wrong. That's when we can't really function. We, we don't remember the sex we're having. We can't perform the way we'd like to because we had too many cocktails. But one cocktail, I mean, I've heard tequila called the female Viagra before. So that could work. Yeah, that, Tom. The but female gonna, Viagra. But the other reason why it's complicated is because so many women who go through like they have challenges like they have vaginal pain, for example, or they just aren't in the mood or they're going through perimenopause. They go to their gynecologist and this has been like lore. My gynecologist never said this to me, but they say, oh, just have a cocktail, have a drink and or, you know, just relax. You might want sex more often. So if you're only relying on alcohol to get you in the mood, then there's a problem. But hey, we're all adults here. We can responsibly drink and figure out how it works for us. Oh, or does it work? Or doesn't work exactly. I think it's definitely one of those things where, you know, certainly if I look at even my own sort of family history, alcohol with, for example, with my dad, you know, he just became quite angry. He yeah. sort of got quite aggressive. I think alcohol sort of sets off emotions in people. Yes. 
that isn't always beneficial. I mean, it's, it's sort of, and I also think that, and I, I've sort of noted this myself as we've been, you know, Tom and I have obviously been doing this cocktail podcast for some time. There are different emotions that can be created by different drinks. Well, so whiskey can have a different effect than vodka. They can have a different effect than tequila. They can have a different effect than wine. And they, so it's not all the same. It's not one type of alcohol, like just drinking, having a drink is going to be the solution because they can really change the mood. Champagne is different from red wine. But do you feel that's a universal or do you think everybody has their own experience or experience with alcohol like pretty much everyone could have a glass of wine and feel one way but if you have tequila you're gonna feel this way i don't drink enough so i don't know i, I need to drink more but we, we can be your guinea pigs for this <laughs> Dr. Emily. we can we can do this for you we can be the i, I think i'm not sure whether there is a, there's a, lo- a rule about it but there is definitely you know that I, I think without a doubt tequila is an upper yeah, and it certainly sure. sets people off and they and they kind of get excited and it's sort of, I don't know what it is exactly about, the agave or something in it. And there's, for example, red wine is definitely a calmer, you know, yeah. kind of chill, kind of relaxed kind of vibe about the whole thing. I want to get into the whole subject. That was a good buzz. Okay, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, want to, I just want to get into the whole, just dive straight into the whole concept of sex itself and what is what do you think, in your opinion, is the sort of the big deal that we have around sex? I mean, clearly, sex is important. We enjoy it, but it is such a big deal. It's this sort of crazy taboo subject. You know, right. why is it still such a taboo subject? No, right, it's such a good question. Why is it taboo? Because nobody talks about it, and when they do talk about it, you know, we'll start to get a young age no one talks to us about sex. And if they do, many people, they tell us not to have it, to wait until you're an adult. Or, and then when you do get, if you did have any sex education, it was don't get pregnant, don't get an STD. It was all fear-based. Nobody talks to you about pleasure. Nobody actually talks to you about the reality of what actually happens when you have sex. And then we're like sent off into the world to go have sex. And usually it's it's never what we think, I believe, at least speaking from a woman's point of view. I was like, what is the big deal? Like, it, it's okay. It's great. The first six months to two years with somebody, which is the honeymoon phase. And then usually there's like problems. Like, why aren't I still aroused or turned on by my partner? So it's taboo because we are shamed for talking about it. There's so much like misinformation. We have no information, but then the information we do have is misinformation. So it's, it's, it's like shrouded in mystery. It's almost like giving your kids the keys to the car without a driver's ed and saying, go out, go out and drive and have a good time. That's what we do with sex. So then as adults, we're supposed to figure it out. And we don't, we don't want to talk to our doctors about it. We don't want to talk to our partners about it because then we feel bad. And I think that it's taboo because we do not hear people talking about it accurately. We don't hear people talking about it in a positive light. And we just and we don't have a lot of information about our body parts. I mean, really, we're just walking around blind trying to figure it out. So that's why it's taboo. And I think it goes back to religion and shame. And if you masturbate, you're going to go blind. You know, all the things about sex have just been I think we need to I'm trying to rebrand sex completely. Look, there's without a doubt, it's something which. Is on is on most people's minds. I, I don't know what this all the time, right? It's like they're sort of yes. probably one of the number one thoughts of, that people have, or one way or the other. Is that true for both men and women, by the way? You know, there have been studies that like men think about sex every three seconds, but women are like coming up. You know, so I think it's a case. Here's what I'm finding too, Nigel, which is so interesting, is that. There's been all these studies that are always by gender, like men want more sex than women and women are more frigid. But all the stuff that you hear, like men are always thinking about sex and women aren't, women aren't. There's been so many more studies that have shown that that's kind of all BS, that you're going to find a woman who's thinking about sex just as much as men. And not every man's thinking about sex every 3.2 seconds. So some people think about sex more often than others. That is true. Um, are you? How often are you thinking about um, sex? How many times have you thought about sex? Today until what well, generally today or in the last five minutes? The last five minutes, we know, but well, today I can't tell you know, I've been so busy. If I have thought about it, I can't remember having thought about it. But again, but again, is there not a there's a kind of hormonal issue that's here, isn't there? With the degrees to which people think about it. For instance, bipolar, one of the manifestations of bipolar disorder is it can become incredibly sexualized, you know, like want a lot of sex, you know, which which compared to someone, you know, who's a, a, a 17-year-old boy, you know, is going to be... 
room yeah. masturbating four times a day. I mean, you know, I don't sit in my room masturbating four times a day, but, you know, no doubt Nigel and I have both got young sons. They probably are, you know. Right now they are, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Probably, I don't know. I mean, you know, what did we used to do when I was 15, 16? I mean, that's all we used to do. I was at school with Nigel as well, so before he sort of starts, you know, getting all shy and coy about this, um, that he's got that look on his face. Of, you know, knows exactly what you're talking about. No, but I mean, it, so I, I think it depends, isn't it? I mean, as you said, it's BS, and and you know, you can't just turn around and say every man thinks about sex with three point two students. But they feel bad if they don't. They're like, oh, great, here's another thing I'm not doing. Like, oh, I should be thinking about sex all the time. So. I'm thrilled I don't. I mean, if I did think about sex every 3.2 seconds, I wouldn't get anything done. Yeah. But by all accounts, Tom, you're having sex every sort of 3.2 seconds. I've hung out with you and your wonderful girlfriend. And I think, you know, Tom has is in a somewhat of a new relationship. You mentioned honeymoon phase. Honeymoon phase, that's the best. That's so so he's sort of a, a bit of in that sort of phase. So it's kind of unfair. I've been, you know, the, I've been married. You know something? I, got, I got to butt in here at this point because... <laughs> <laughs> one thing, and I'm very comfortable saying this, but the one thing I never, ever do with anybody other than the person I'm with is discuss my sex life. Until today. Exactly, until no, today. I'm, no, Nigel's trying to discuss my sex life and, and paint a yeah. wonderful picture of this kind of, you know, making me look like some sort of super... By the way, it's not true what he's saying. He's, yeah. he's lying when he's saying he's not talking about his sex life. He does talk about his sex life. I know all about his sex life. So sorry, girlfriends <laughs> listening and everything else. I, it's not true what he's saying. See, that's the, this is a part of the problem, Doctor. <laughs> Is this is the taboo? He's like, I don't talk about my sex life. I, I, I mean, we don't do that. Well, first off, I'm not saying that you should go out and talk to everyone about your sex life, but at least with your girl, talk about your sex life. Like, hey, how was it last night? Were we, you know, what, what were you into? What turned you on? Like, I have so much information, like so many conversation starters for couples because most couples, the honeymoon phase is amazing. So they don't have to talk about it because they always want to rip each other's clothes off and everything's great. There's literally nothing to talk about because all we want to do is sex. But that is a biological state. And that after six months to two years, talk about cocktails, that's the best cocktail ever. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, right? Those are the, that's this cocktail of hormones that you literally cannot top. And they're last six months, two years, and then it it's take a dive, right? And then you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to rip your clothes off as much. We're not having, now what do we do? And you don't have any grounds to discuss it because you've never talked about it. So I say couples like get ahead of it. Talk about talk about what was good, what isn't, what's your turn-ons, what are you into? And it's a practice because most people feel if they talk about it, like since we've never heard anyone talk about it, if my partner says, Hey, I want to talk about our sex life, my first thought, let's say it wasn't me, but somebody else besides me would say, Oh no, I did something wrong, I've gained weight, I they don't like my body. Like we just assume that if our partners want to talk about sex, we have failed. And they don't love us and they're going to break up with us and we're going to end up alone. We literally go to that place. So no, no, I, literally, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was has that emotion on a daily basis. I think. No, pretty much. No, it's f- fair enough. I mean, look, I, I actually, funnily enough. So I, as I mentioned, I've been with my wife together now for 26 years. We've been married. This is our, I guess, our 22nd year of, of, of wow. being married. Right. So. <laughs> I met her, she was 19, I was 22. I'm about to turn 49, right? So it's it's been an incredibly long time. However, there isn't a single day that goes by that I don't see her want to rip all her clothes off and and have sex. So that part of me, that last part has not gone at all, at all. However, I don't believe she necessarily feels the same way about me. <laughs> I do not blame her because I'd like to say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actually twice the man I used to be, which sounds like a good thing, but it's not really. Because I'm, I'm a lot, I, you know, I was literally 187 pounds when I met her and I'm 230 pounds now. I've bulked up enormously. You know, I work out and all that kind of stuff. You know, I've just changed is my point. You know what I mean? I know it's that. Changed, but, but women aren't as concerned about how you look. It's probably more about for her when does she feel the most in the mood? What's preceding that? Like women don't get many women. Here's a gender thing. Most women don't get struck over the head and say, Oh God, I, I totally am turned on right now. I want to rip my partner's clothes off beyond that first year or year and a half. When men are more, this is where it is different is that men are more, have something called spontaneous desire where you're just like, you see her get out of the shower and the towel 20 years later, you're like, I want 
she's in her mind's right. elsewhere. Women have more of a responsive. They respond to stimuli. Like maybe it's you've cleaned the house. You gave her a compliment. You gave her a foot rub. We take a little bit more to get us going and then we're in the mood. But just expecting us to initiate and get there for the majority of women, it doesn't happen like that. So Nigel's case, it's the, literally there's a fine line between sex god and sex pest. And <laughs> Find that sweet spot. It's somewhere in there. There's a little bit of homework to do. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I, listen, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, I've noticed. I mean, I'm clearly after this many years, you know, you know, you know when, you know, obviously your wife isn't someone who you can just sort of tap on the shoulder and have sex with. You know what I mean? You know, I guess one could, but that's not how it works. I mean, it, it takes, like you said, a, the sort of the massage or the, the sort of loving and the caring and the, the whole buildup. I mean, oftentimes the foreplay isn't necessarily foreplay. just actual sort of, kissing and playing around right. with what have you. It's simple. The foreplay is actually the being kind, the listening, the, the yes. talking, right? How was your day? Like, let me help you with that. You look great. Whatever her love language is too. That's a great gateway to people to figure out like what actually makes people feel the most loved and turned on. Talk us through that a bit more because I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm saying what I've experienced, but I would love to know more. I'd love to sort of, for all the men out there who are, you know, sort of in that married situation have gone through the honeymoon situation and are, have a, a wife or a girlfriend or a partner and they're sort of thinking, well, how do they keep that going? How do you keep that spark? What are outside of the sort of obvious potentially of, of I guess, I don't know, taking someone for dinner or something, but maybe that's what it is. But it's what, what are the things that you can do to, that work in general? Well, what I was just referring to is the love languages, which is something that just that really inter- you, you, you made me think of it when you said like, oh, I have to ask her about her day. I guess I could go there, but there's there's something called the love languages. And there's five ways that we all experience love. There's it's either like words of affirmation, like you say, babe, you look beautiful today, or I'm so proud of the work you're doing, or it's words, right? Now, granted, all five of these, we want all of them, but usually there's one to two that make us feel the most loved and the most connected. And then I can get into ways to spice it up, but this is just a great gateway for couples who've been together a while. For many couples, it's kind of been a game changer. So it's words of affirmation physical touch, like she feels closer to you when you're touching, when you come and put your, you kiss her neck, you put your hand around her. There's, so we're physical touch, there's gifts, like you surprise her with a gift, like that's where she feels the most loved. Quality time, like just the two of you, no kids, just the two of you, you have a special night, there's no phones. And then there's acts of service. And acts of service is you notice that her car was emptying gas and you went out and you filled it with up with gas. So you empty the dishwasher before she asks you. Now, our partners sometimes don't share our love languages, right? And there's a quiz called the Love Language Quiz. You can find it on my website. But even in talking to you, is there one that you, like I could get, my partner could buy me gifts all day. He could empty my dishwasher and do other things, but I love touch. Like if I don't touch him for a while, and I don't even mean sexual touch, but he comes in, he touches me and I like words. Like, tell me I look hot. Tell me I did something. I, that to me makes, but for other people, like his love language might be gifts. And if I didn't like miss his birthday or I don't ever surprise him with little gifts, even though I compliment him all the time and I talk, he might not feel as loved. So just knowing that is a really great, does that make sense? It does make yeah. sense. It's interesting. It makes sense, but I have the question for you. Perfect sense. Feeling loved and wanting to make love. Is that the same okay, thing? So that was just because I wanted to finish my train of thought, but I'm just saying for couples who are, feel like that they're not having sex or they're not connecting, that's what the love language is. Go to sexwithelmy.com, take the quiz. It's a great way for couples who have resentments built up, but let's talk about getting in the mood to make love. When I always say communication is a lubrication, it's because the more we talk about sex, the more sex is going to be top of mind and the better sex we're going to have. It is proven time and time again. So saying when you're outside the bedroom is the best time to talk about sex and literally just saying, I realize we haven't talked about our sex life lately, or maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but what are the three most memorable times we've had sex? Let's each write this down and swap lists. I have something on my site called the yes, no, maybe list. It's got about a hundred sex acts on it. Kissing, spanking, hugging, like everything you can imagine and things you probably never imagined. And then you each take that together. Is this a yes? Is this a no or a maybe? And then you find, yeah, oh, I didn't know you like dirty talk. Let's do more of that. Oh, you want me to massage your feet before? And you just keep sex top of mind talk about what you like what you don't like because then sex can't get boring if you're kind and i don't mean you got to be swinging from the rafters it just might mean you might just find out she's like you know what 
the most memorable time was on vacation when someone almost walked in the room and she was wearing something, sorry, you did something. Then you know, oh, these are the ingredients. These are the key ingredients that are gonna get her most in the mood for sex. How can we create that scenario time and time again? What happens if you find out something that you don't want to know? Like what? Give me well, examples. I don't know. Something that you can't replicate very easily. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, what I, I'm asking that potentially because I, I mean, everything you're saying resonates with me. I mean, I, I, I certainly know, for example, that I know it sounds crazy, but I, my, for example, maybe it doesn't sound crazy, but I know with my wife, I know that things, things like emptying the dishwasher, doing the dishes, or helping to do something like that, that is helpful for her. That she would have to. She loves that. She, that's right. like one of her favorite things. She doesn't care for gifts at all. Okay. I, I, I buy her gifts. I'll buy her flowers. Nothing to do with the birthday. Nothing to do with anything. I just get flowers for her. And she might just leave them on the table. She might, I'd right. be the one who unwraps them and puts them in right. the vase. Maybe if I went and picked flowers, but if I buy them, it's not it's the same thing. So it sounds like she's acts of service. So I'll bet, Nigel, if you spent a day or a weekend and you you, you start realizing like, once a week or once a day, I'm going to do these things for her that, that are going to just little things like with the kid, maybe you take the kids or you, you know, you put the yeah. clothes out. You might find that she feels a little less resentment, feels a little bit more help around the house. And then that might just boost her libido. To try and do things for her instead of trying to do things to her. Like. Yes, yes. Trying to, that, no, trying I get to- it, Tom. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank <laughs> you for the explanation. I'm speaking for, I'm trying to also, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, right? I'm trying to be open about these things so that other men, other people out there can also listen, identify with potentially what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, what I'm, what what we're going through. So they can also make a change and, and you need to talk about this, Tom, you need to go through this. I know you think you've got it all sorted. Maybe I do already. Well, cause he just started, they're not having problems yet. It's a new relationship. You can call. No, no, no. It's not about three years old, but. When I say maybe I do already, I can't go further than that because it's not an English thing. Literally, I just, I really happy to discuss my sex life with my girlfriend, but I just, I, I can't, I don't, I just don't. I never discuss my sex life in public, never have. There's no pressure. I like this eyes discuss it, discuss it. Well, you know what's interesting though, Nigel, and I appreciate you sharing this because like, I have a friend who found out that his wife was touch and he's just not a touchy guy. He loves sex, but she's like, I need you to come in and touch. He would get home from work and he would pull in the garage and he would have an alarm that would go off that would be like, and this might sound silly to some people, but this is a great workaround. He'd say like, it was like a reminder to like go in, put his phone down and hug his wife. Like don't just walk in and do your thing. And he would come in and he would like take five minutes and he would hug her and they would touch. And then she felt more love. Like she was getting what she needed. Otherwise he'd just blow in, stick, stay on the phone and he had to make it a habit. So Nigel, like for you or people listening, maybe you put in your calendar like twice a week, like whatever it is for your wife. I'm going to empty the dishwasher. I'm going to do the kids' clothes. You know, I'm going to take the kids out. I mean, and again, you're right. I mean, I I do those things. And I mean, it's funny. It's very interesting you should say these things because I, for example, I'm the one who needs the the touch. And and the funny thing is, is that, you know, even in our relationship, and I know it has nothing to do with not, this is the other important part. When someone doesn't do these things, Right. It also doesn't mean that you're not loved. Right, exactly. Because so, exactly. my wife actually is not much of a toucher, right? She's in the bed, oh. she she likes she gets hot, she's like she moves away. She you know, I'm someone who's a hugger, right? But she yeah. I'm also someone who likes to do, go in and give her a kiss when we're just downstairs in the kitchen. But there might be times when she might be just like, you know, just doing her thing and 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 she's very warm and she wants to be warm, but it's sort of on her own terms it's not necessarily and so and i know that i like that attention you know i feel sometimes like i'm needy or something like why do i need that you guys just have different languages so yeah exactly that's exactly that's such a great example like that's exactly what i feel that way too if i'm with my partner ever and i'm and they're not touching me i'm like why aren't we touching like i need it i'm not needy it just that's what makes me feel loved and when our partner's love languages aren't the same that's when you got to have like workarounds like i'll bet if you started doing more acts of service she might just not find that like, oh, I want to touch you more. You know, it just, that's, that's why it's such a fun little hack for couples who are like, oh, that's the problem. Cause she just doesn't think about it. Wherever she was raised in an environment where touch, it wasn't, it just wasn't her thing. And it's harder. That's a hard one to kind of remember to do it. So yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. It's funny enough. So, you know, one of the times that I find that most, when she's most sort of, I guess, activated too, is when I'm doing things like yard work. Yes. You know, like, 
but I'm doing the garden because I'm like beautifying the house. I'm taking care of the garden. I'm, she, you know, she'll come out, she'll make me a drink. She'll do all these things. All of a sudden I'm like, wow. And she's all like enthusiastic and like, you know, wants to take a photograph of me or something crazy like that. And I'm like, what is happening? But it's that whole kind of like, almost as if that's got an actual manual labor to help, which is helping her in something that's going to make her life better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something it's exciting for her so it's, it's interesting I've known, I mean, I've known it for years but it's it's very you know you tune in on those sorts of things yeah, exactly you know, perhaps for me I'd be like yeah what do you want to do that for you know what I mean like, I don't right know. so next time you'll be like yay yard work because <laughs> you don't you know it. <laughs> exactly well this week's episode of Shaken and Stirred is brought to you by Manscaped the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Yep, you heard that right, the 4.0. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. And now it's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for Shaken and Stirred listeners. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHAKEN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code SHAKEN, S-H-A-K-E-N. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Let's shift a little bit. And, and I, I want to sort of think about, I say I, think, I want to think about, people do think about pornography a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So pornography, is that something which plays a role, plays a part in, in, in sex? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing with pornography is that, I mean, we all know it's titillating. It can be really hot to watch porn alone or with a partner. Like we've been doing that since the beginning of time, right? The only challenge about pornography is that since it's become ubiquitous and literally available on our smartphones, like about 15 years ago, at any time, at any moment we can have porn. The problem with porn is that when it's so readily available and we don't have a lot of sex education, so there's like a whole younger generation right now who are growing up with porn and they're assuming that there's a blueprint for how to have sex. Like, well, that's exactly how sex is going to go down. And we all know that it's, there's some truth to it, but mostly it's just, there's no warm up, there's no foreplay, there's no, there's no. It's also, it's also seriously misogynistic. I mean, you. Oh, it is. It is not reflective of most people's relationships. I, I have this concern. Having kids myself, it's so readily available. It's actually staggering that it is so readily available. And, you know, unless it's a sort of purit- puritanical backlash i don't see how i mean it terrifies me that there's now a generation there's a there's a bunch of nearly yeah. 30 year olds who grew up on this stuff as you said it's been around 15 years or you know who are still who probably his love lives and sex lives have probably actually been just destroyed yes well yeah for some people they get addicted to it they that they that's all they do is watch porn. They can no longer get aroused with a human. I mean, there are some repercussions for sure. I just wish that we had more and talk to your kids about it. You're not going to keep them from porn, but you could say like, that's not actually how sex happens. Here's some things you might want to know is it's important to warm up a partner. Actually, on a serious note, so I've got an 11 year old son who is, you know, more and more, you know, I'm fighting the kind of, you know, I need a smartphone for guys that you're, you're 11 years old. His mother thinks differently. She is much freer with, with, with that sort of technology. It terrifies me because you don't know what's going on. What, so the advice I, I would give, say, to an 11-year-old boy who I know is probably going to be in a playground at some point with a friend who's got a phone, you can't protect them. Well, so your, your advice is what? To talk as much as possible and say what? What, what message? As possible. Listen, we used to call it the talk. Did your parents have the talk with you? It is not a one-time conversation. It is ongoing. It is honest. It's truthful. It's just like, okay, so you might see some pornography, some naked people on the phone. Someone's going to show it to you. 
And that's, you know, mostly made for adults. It's not an it's not really an accurate representation of sex, but I don't want you to feel shame at all. If you see it, that's fine. You can just tell me about it if you have any questions. And then you just start talking about it. And, you know, he might start getting erections. He might start masturbating. You can talk to him about masturbation. You can say, um, yeah, I did that as well. It's probably best to do it in your bedroom. Let me know if you want a towel or whatever. I mean, I know this sounds really awkward. And the reason why it's hard with this generation is because your parents didn't do it. You probably don't even know what to say. And so that we're just going to constantly, you could even say, this is awkward. My parents never talked to me about it, but I want to do different. And I want to tell you that it's totally nothing to be shameful about. And here's what it means when you ejaculate, you masturbate. I mean, I just think that the more we can set our kids up for success by not shaming them, they're going to grow up to be much more sexually healthy individuals. You know what you mentioned, you said, okay, when you, if you ejaculate, it's normal, natural. What does one say? I mean, I, and I, because that's okay. the thing. It's sort of it's one thing like saying talk to them about it, right? And people go, oh, okay, right. But to your point, no one talked to me. No one, no, my parents never spoke to me about any thing to do with sex ever. And and the sexual education at school was done by a priest. Yeah, don't have sex. And like, who doesn't yeah. even have sex, right? So it was the weirdest conversation you've ever had in your life, like literally. Right. So when you say have talk to your talk to your your kids about it, I mean, it's like I think that's the thing. People don't know what to say. They sort of say, okay, you know, if I was to say to my son, okay, so you're masturbating now, that's good. Or <laughs> just say, you know what? I want you to tell you about masturbation. Sometimes you might touch yourself. You might your penis might get hard. It, it gets erect. Explain to him like blood flow or puberty or. I mean, there's some great books on this too. I can advise you. Or there's a great website called Scarletine and it gives you some good advice. But you could just say, when this happens, usually it, gets, it comes from a thought or something that you're thinking about and you might want to touch yourself and that's totally healthy. And it's, I want you to be the only one who's able to touch yourself. And it's probably best to do it in, in private, like in your room. And just ask him if he has any questions about that. And then you could say, you could explain to him hormones when he goes through puberty and he'll start to, he might have wet dreams. He might have something in his sleep. He might start to have a dream and he'll realize that his penis has grown. It's gotten harder and meet him where he's at. So just basically go through the process. Just be yeah. as brutally honest as yeah. possible, despite how painful that or it may seem or as embarrassing as it might seem. And I know he's going to probably push back. And I have had certain types of conversations. My son's a little bit older, clearly. But, but I think, for example, I have a daughter who's 12, right? So is it appropriate for a father to speak to his daughter about that? Or should my wife do it? And, and what about situations where a daughter is only being brought up by a father? And how does she then handle it? Or how do they handle it? I, I wish it wasn't so awkward. And it is your son will probably be like, Dad, no, I don't want to know. Like, that's what's gonna happen. Dad, no, gross. Oh, God. That's why I actually, this is why I feel bad for parents. And this is why I'm really working on starting the sex education for, for youth, because no one really wants to hear their parents talk about it, but it's much better to have a sex educator or a peer educator. who could. And I wish I had one place that you could go right now and I could tell you, I'm just looking up this, but like, I, I feel like it's just emphasizing it's private and just saying for a girl, I would just say that it's okay not to be shamed about your body parts that you might touch yourself. This is, and I think we have to name the parts. When your kids are young, rather than saying like PP or JJ, it's like, this is your penis. These are your testicles. This is your clitoris. You know, we just say like, we don't even say the word, this is your vulva, exterior part of the vagina. Sometimes when you touch it, it feels good. So at a young age, if you're like right now, you just kind of ignore it if your kid puts their hand on their pants or a toddler. But if you're just like, yeah, that feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, that feels good to me too, but it's you know, best to keep it private. And then you're building on the conversation as they get older and then it's nothing to be shameful about. But now if we haven't started there yet, because most parents don't, you just say to your, yeah, if you're a single father, you could either find like a trusted aunt or a sister or someone in the family that may make her feel more comfortable. But just saying like, this is awkward. I know it's okay if you touch yourself. This is what you might feel. Explore. And then you emphasize that nobody else, it's private and nobody else is allowed to touch them. And to come with you for questions and then you just bring it up again and you just keep bringing it up. And then as you 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 talk to other parents, although most parents don't know, you find some good sex education programs, some good books. And you just you just talk about it, even if it's awkward and horrible. But then your kids will much be more likely to come to you than to go to somebody else 
and at least tell them that porn, that they're going to see it and it's not an accurate representation of what sex is. And it is my life's work to provide materials and make it easier. I've done some podcasts on this for adults, for parents talking to their kids about sex. It's just not, we're not there yet. So I think it's honesty. It's being real with them, looking for answers if you don't have them. Communication is lubrication. It's true. Right there, right there. No, so look, shifting gears a little bit. I want to, let's talk a little bit about this, you know, getting more into the adult world, move away from our kids because I think we right. figured it out. We got to talk. We got to talk to them. We got to talk them through it. They're gonna feel that it's not strange. It's not weird. I get that for sure. That was not what happened to me. I certainly didn't. You know, was had no education really to talk of whatsoever when it came to that. I had to just discover it. You know, but you know, I think most people think to themselves, "Why? Well, you know, I, no one taught me, but I kind of figured it out myself, didn't I? Therefore, yeah. well, you why did." But night, I mean, in the best possible way, in the library at school with someone called, well, actually, whose name I'm not going to mention. It's not out everyone. There is, a, there is I think, libraries everywhere. But you probably didn't figure out. The thing is, it's like, we don't know what we don't know, but so many men walk around thinking, like, she's having an orgasm and she feels good, but mostly we don't even understand the body parts. We don't, when most women feel that if we know our bodies and we talk about it with somebody that we're going to be judged, we're going to be called like slutty or we're going to be shamed for, for wanting sex. So maybe it felt really good to you, but for most women, we are more like complicit and we're more in the performative realm of sex. Like what looks good for him if we're talking about heterosexual couples. So yeah, you kind of figured it out, but wouldn't it be great to have a little bit of more guidance along the way? That's why I think like my podcast, you know, I've been doing it for 15 years. I think that it's just very, I answer people's questions. It's very accurate, real talk about sex. Like I do talk about sex, like we're talking about the weather. So I would say that most people who think they figured out sex have a lot more to learn because I don't think you're ever done learning. And with each partner you're with or each relationship is a great chance to figure out what you're into, what they're into, and to practice having this conversation. And it's never too late if you're in a long-term relationship. Like, let's figure out what we've learned about each other and what we want changes in every decade, every year. It might even change every month with our hormonal cycles. So there's just a lot to unpack with sex. It's just, it's not something, it's like a workout. You don't do the same workout every day for the rest of your life. And your sex life in a healthy relationship is you're constantly like talking about it and evolving. And what are you into? And, and the fact that sex is so centered on penetration, penis goes in vagina, we call it PV sex in the business. For so many of us, we just call it foreplay, but that's another thing I want to rebrand because it's really just sometimes that could be sex, right? Just getting each other off or pleasing your partner and and the arousal process for so many vulva owners, for women, I call them vulva owners on my show, but for women, that the women are more likely to have an orgasm three ways, oral sex, kissing, and fingers. Nothing to do with the penis. But most sex is focused on penetration. So can you imagine how many women are not having pleasure and orgasms, but they don't really know why because they don't have this information. Oral sex and kissing, is that not the same thing? You don't mean, you mean kissing on the, the mouth? Yeah, like making out, getting aroused, turned on, and then they like- They can have an orgasm from kissing. Yeah, or that leads them to, yeah. And yeah. fingering, nice. Not fingering inside, mostly it's fingering on the outside, using your fingers. Which could be construed a fingering, depending on how you interpret it. I might defend myself there. I'm talking about the fingering, digging for change thing that a lot of guys do that just actually doesn't feel good. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know something? I had a conversation a year or two ago with someone in their 20s, and I was talking, and he referred, he said, he said that he was trying to bring back the lost art of using one's hands. Let's just put yeah. it that way. I'm slightly less vulgar, but and for his generation, it was the, this lost art. It was this thing that he'd only heard about from through kind of from myths through through from the older generations. This thing, you know, called sort of the lost art of fingering. I mean, that's what we, you know, oh, not yeah. change as you say, but 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 exactly. But I mean, you know, it, but it was very funny to hear someone refer to it as the lost art. You're like, where did it go? Yeah, yeah like, it go? Hand job, like the large part of the hand job. Yeah, because we go right into penetration. But for so many of us, like that's what actually feels good. So yeah. kind of like expanding your definition of sex. 
I love to see Tom squirm. I've, I just I know it's cute. The funniest thing, I mean, he can hardly get his words out. He can let alone like he's sort of squirming. He's moving on his seat. He's shifting around. He's putting his hands through his hair. He's looking That's off cute. to the left and the right just in case someone's coming in. My this library. is a classic situation. This is what we suffer from. There's something about this topic of conversation that you feel that you have to look over your shoulder. You're sort of somewhat terrified right? that you know, you're going to say the wrong thing. That you're, oh, I said fingering. Oh my god! You know, like hand job. You know, like why not? Right? Why not? Why is it so weird? You know, it, yeah. it, it goes. It goes back to just everything you're talking about. I mean, this is. We have, there is just such taboo around all this conversation that we feel so awkward about it. And right. clearly it's such a large part of our life. None of us would probably have even come into the world if it had not been for it. So, <laughs> you know, so why not, you know, get it right and, and figure, figure it out, right? But um, is there, clearly probably isn't, but is there a sort of a record, recommended sort of number of times people should have sex a week? Or is it like if people don't go with that, don't have sex? We have a friend who has, who, who literally has a sort of, um, Sex at a certain time, like a certain time of the, you know, like scheduled, scheduled scheduled sex. Is that a good thing? Great. Scheduled sex works so much. Yeah, because listen, I am never going to prescribe like every couple has to have sex 1.2 times a week. Like Every couple gets to decide how many times a week works for them or how many times a month. I think once a month isn't enough. First of all, couples have to decide because if someone wants it every day, another one wants it twice a week, well, then you, you compromise. But couples get busy, distracted, kids, life. And so when you schedule sex, let's say you know, like every Saturday night is our date night. It is non-negotiable and sex is going to happen. Then the partner who wants has the higher desire. Let's say they want sex on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and they keep getting rejected and they feel terrible. They know that like now they're like, I'm not even going to go through the motions of trying to have sex every night this week because Saturday night is our night and I'm going to look forward to that. So it kind of takes a lot of the pressure off. And you can look forward to it and say, well, what are we going to do on Saturday night? How are we going to make this different or special or, you know, so I think it works. It's much better than not knowing when it's going to happen. And then there's frustration. And But isn't it, it doesn't the routine, can't that in itself ruin it? Because it sort of seems to be not very sexy to know that, you know, like Monday nights, steak night, Tuesday nights, I'm going to have a hamburger, Wednesday nights, veal parmesan, and Friday we're going to have sex. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like... I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. I like to vary it up. I like to like throw a little sex in on a Wednesday, you know, yeah. and then on a Tuesday morning. They just get, grab your chainsaw on a Wednesday morning, see what happens, and then maybe hang some pictures on a Wednesday, you know? Trust me, I'm, I'm all about housework now. Exactly. Thursday, speak the love language, speak her love language, man. You know, Friday, what are you going to do? I don't know, like, a bit of, like clean, the, clean the patio. I'm going to lube up my chainsaw. That's what I'm going to do. That's it. Yeah, it could get boring, but I say try it and see how it goes. Usually it doesn't. Like usually, because also you've talked about your sex life, you've made a plan, and then maybe you try something new that night, or maybe you, yeah, you add some lube, or you get a toy, or you do in a different location, or you download one of these things on my site. Yeah, you do something that's different, actually. You talk, really talk about it, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to look forward to trying this thing out or doing you mentioned it. You mentioned toy, vibrators. Love them, yep. Do women in general love them? Is this something that women we... in general and men. Here's the other thing. Vibrators feel great. Listen, we have nerve endings on our body that can feel amazing to vibration. So men like them as well once they try them, just vibrating on your penis or the shaft or all over your body. So yes, I think that once men get over the fact that or feel threatened by a vibrator and think that their partner is going to leave them, I mean, it actually makes things very efficient. You're more likely to have an orgasm. Your penis doesn't vibrate. So I think like this notion that, yeah, women love them. Men seem to love them too. Men love women. Men love women who are using them because then they can use it on them and it makes their job a lot easier if you want to think of it that way. It's also the sure thing for a lot of women. And it's kind of like a fun new added. It's just a new thing to play with in the bedroom. But you just said it yourself, like the the fact that guys feel perhaps that they're going to be replaced and is it that insecurity that we assume that they're not having an orgasm if we're not around when ultimately they could be having an they're probably having orgasms when we're not around in fact maybe more so because that you know they're also perhaps masturbating and therefore you know having their own orgasms and their own thing but it doesn't mean you're going to be replaced i mean listen a vibrator can't do you know vibrator can't cuddle can't 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 do housework 
Um, but people think it's going to replace you. No, I think that, yeah, it's this notion that it has to be my penis and I have to be the only one. But that's why I always encourage people to expand their definition of that, expand, widen their lens when it comes to thinking about sex and sexuality and your partner. If I'm telling you that only 20% of women are going to orgasm from a penis in their lifetime, and so 80% need other kind of stimulation and sex begets sex. So let's say your partner does have a vibrator. I love a woman who's masturbating on her own. The more she has orgasms, the more sex she's going to want with you, you know? So it's like, it's just, it's just, again, it's gotten um, a very bad rap. What is the best vibrator? Oh gosh, I can't say, ask me to choose my favorite child. I can't do that. I can tell you that, um, okay, I have one right here around my neck. I wear every day. This is a, this is a great one. It's a great gift. It's a vibrating necklace. It's actually works. It's called the crate. It's a Vesper. It's, you can get on my website. It's waterproof. A Vesper, like the classic martini. Yes, exactly. I love this. It's by Crave. We, I have a Sex with Emily one. I like things by WeVibe. WeVibe makes waterproof rechargeable toys. I love the Womanizer. Uh, the Womanizer is a terrible name, but it has this sucking, uh, uses pleasure air technology. Go to my website. I have like all this stuff at sexwithemily.com. Yep. Sexwithemily.com to get you a vibrator. Tom, you know where to go now to add to your collection. I know that was one of your questions. Uh, Emily, we, we have, he was too shy to ask. I, I told him I'd do it for him. He did great. He did great. He's, he's incredibly, he's, I've never known him to be quite like this. He's, he's gone pitch red the half the time. He's been you know, holding his hand over his mouth. Have you watched all the body language that's been yes. going on? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think you compare it to, so I don't know, but I'm going to take your word for it. It's not an easy conversation to have, so thank you for having me. Thank you. you know, especially being English, I think he's the English of all the cultures out there. One of the we're one of the more repressed uh, groups of people when Happy. it comes to talking about sexuality and sex, sex itself. Look, we have something on on our show called Last Orders. It's a sort of rapid fire question moment, Emily. So here we go. Question number one: Is it possible to have too much sex? Yes. There you go. I'm a yeah. sex addict. You could have too much sex, and then it's impacting your life, and there's consequences. Yeah. Okay, here's another one for you. Noisy or quiet? Noisy. What floats your boat and what gets your goat? What floats my boat? I would say communication, healthy communication, and then I would say selfishness gets my goat. Selfishness. And what kind of selfishness? Just every, any, and every, or? In every way, or somebody who's just not a giver, who's more about receiving. Like it's, I think that great sex has to be a give and take. And so someone who's just sort of into their own pleasure and not their partner's pleasure or my pleasure is not a turn on for me. Great people have to be like that, right? Party, party, yeah. party make, not party takers. Exactly, exactly. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Mm. Um, people always say I look like Courtney Cox. I get that a lot. So maybe it would be Courtney Cox. Kim, you do me. actually look like Courtney Cox. That's very true. In LA, like, well, you uh, no, anyway, that's what I would say. That's so funny, you, you know, you, but yeah, from Friends at that time, but that that particular moment when she was on Friends, she looked like her then. Okay, final question, shaken or stirred? Shaken. And you've shaken <laughs> us, all, all of us, where we all feel thoroughly shaken, I think, and perhaps even stirred. <laughs> it's quite possible right now. <laughs> Dr. Emily Morse, Sex with Emily. Check her out at Sex with Emily. Um, so sort of, I, I don't know, informational and great, great. All Everything you're saying makes sense, Dr. Emily. Thanks so much for coming on with us and for sort of communicating with us, talking to us, you know, enlightening us um, and dealing with all our, you know, I guess our, our inability to talk about the subject freely. I think it's it, it's it's going to be a constant battle. But uh, you, you help not you know break down those barriers. I'm so glad. I hope it helps. I hope it inspires you and your listeners. So thank you for having. Me. We appreciate it. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.